So the fact of the matter is we drop our thoughts a thousand times a day, but we pick them up a thousand and one times a day and convince ourselves that it's there all the time because we haven't been conscious of it. So one thing is just noticing the process that I've just described, starting to notice, oh yeah, the stuff's being dropped all the time. I drop it, I pick it up, I drop it, I pick it up. There's that lever, as we were saying before. Oh, maybe I could choose to not pick it up. That's Dean Slider, and this is the Soul and Wonder Podcast, Episode 61, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder Podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe, uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing, all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder Podcast. We are your hosts, Sarah and Christopher. What's going on, everybody? We're really excited to have you with us on this super, super, super important episode on fear less, living beyond fear, anxiety, anger, and addiction with natural meditation and mindfulness expert, Dean Slider. This man has such a high vibrational energy field. It's incredible. We loved sharing space with him. Yes, I felt so calm, relaxed, and confident throughout the entire episode. And it was just so great, so great to talk to him on topics that we know you guys are struggling with. You know, fear, anxiety, anger, addiction, you name it. We all experience this to some degree, and it can be really debilitating. You know, anxiety in particular, I can speak on. You know, some of you might know a little bit about my story, but a lot of you probably don't. And, you know, when I was around age 18, I got myself stuck in a string of emotionally abusive relationships for about the next five years of my life. And, you know, it was a really crazy time period of my life. And I suffered from extreme anxiety. Um, you know, this was my first slap in the face of the real world, to be honest with you. And I didn't know how to cope with my emotions. My anxiety got so strong. I was suffering from panic attacks. You know, I couldn't even get out of bed some mornings and go to my college. College classes. I was taking Xanax and other nerve pills, even though I wasn't prescribed it, just to stop these panic attacks. And then, of course, just like many other college students, I was drinking and partying on the weekends, but I just didn't know how to stop. Basically, I was doing everything that I could to run from my anxiety, right? to fix it, to not feel that pain. And then fast forward many, many years later, after I nearly lost my life in a violent attack, I needed new methods. I needed to learn how to cope with this shit. It was so intense for me. I wanted to find myself. I wanted to find my purpose. I wanted to find my potential. But most of all, I just wanted to be happy. I wanted to get rid of this heavy weight that was always just on my shoulders, this dark cloud that was always just looming over my head, even though I pretended like I was happy. And I put that smile on my face every single day. Um, And you know, it's interesting because through my healing journey, the missing puzzle piece to living an anxiety-free and fulfilling life was revealed to me. Now, this puzzle piece was something that I couldn't believe Nobody else was talking about. I had read book after book after book, listened to podcast episodes, watched documentaries. My God, nobody was talking about this missing puzzle piece that I stumbled across through my healing journey. And after I began experimenting with this new approach on my own, my life transformed so much that I became a personal development coach. And now in just three to six months, I help my clients tap into their inner wisdom and happiness in ways that they have claimed years, even decades, decades of therapy never did for them. And I'm not exaggerating one bit. It blows my mind. Now, listen, if you're struggling with anxiety to any degree and you've exhausted all your options, I want you to know that it's not your fault that nothing else has worked. Unfortunately, a lot of professionals out there are misleading people into bypassing their anxieties with a bunch of tips and tricks, but none of it gets to the root of the issue. It stays on the surface and they're not doing this intentionally. 
They're not at all. But the truth is we got to get to the root. And so my method that I've developed not only helps you get to the root, it also gives you the tools you need to navigate any stressful situation in your life, making your life stress-free and happy. So I want to give you guys this method for free because I want to see you shine. I don't want you to be in pain anymore. I'm so happy that I was able to get myself out of it and everybody in this world deserves to be living without anxiety. So I want to give this method to you for free in my video and workbook on why anxiety is actually your best friend and five steps to use it to your advantage. So to snag that offer, just go to stressfreehappylife.com. That is stressfreehappylife.com. Put in your email and get it sent directly to your inbox. Plus, you'll get access, special access, to our amazing opportunity that we've created to help you live a positive, happy life in a way that nobody else on the market is doing right now. So what have you got to lose? Nothing. You have nothing to lose and you have everything to gain. You deserve to live stress-free and happy. Let's talk about living stress-free and happy. Dean Slider is an expert on natural meditation and mindfulness. And Dean Slider has taught meditation and led workshops and retreats since 1970, from Ivy League colleges to maximum security prisons. A grateful student of sages in several traditions, he has completed numerous retreats and pilgrimages in India, Tibet, Nepal, and the West. Dean's books include Natural Meditation, winner of the Nautilus Award for Best Book on Body, Mind, and Spirit Practices, as well as his new book, Fearless, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. He has appeared frequently in national media, including the New York Times, National Public Radio, Coast to Coast AM, and O, the Oprah Magazine. When not writing or teaching, Dean makes music and happily rides his Vespa through the streets of Santa Monica. His website is deanwords.com. You can find all his books and everything on there. So this episode is super jam-packed with inspirational stories, practical tips and tricks, and just so much information. I love how we started off with Dean's earth-shattering realization at the age of 11 that got him on the path of mindfulness. And of course, we're going to get into the inspiration behind his new book, Fearless, a super boots-to-the-ground, down-to-earth book on obviously helping you fear less. And we're going to talk about the common stumbling blocks that you're likely facing on your path of developing a mindful practice. Once again, practical tips, exercises, everything. He gives you all of this to get you tuned into the present with the snap of a finger or clap of the hands. Now, for those of you who do decide to snag that free opportunity with the video and workbook on why anxiety is actually your best friend, you will also have the opportunity to get a behind-the-scenes exclusive access for those who take advantage of the special opportunity that you'll learn more information on. So you don't want to miss that. Who wouldn't want extra space with Dean Slider? So enough talking. Let's get into this awesome interview. Welcome to the show, Dean. Hey, Dean. I'm excited to have you. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be here with you. So before we uh, started officially recording, Dean was telling us an interesting story about um, his time in, was it Pennsylvania or New Jersey? Yes, New, New Hope, Pennsylvania. Uh, doing what I do, writing books and presenting them across the country and giving workshops all over the map, you have some interesting adventures on the road. Uh, last night was one of my more interesting ones. I was giving a presentation of the book Fearless in Farley's Bookshop in New Hope, PA. And I was about 10 minutes into my presentation when the clerk came in with a worried look on her face and told us they had just gotten an alert that there was an active shooter situation in the building across the street from us. Oh my and God. We, said, we said, well, what do you advise we do? And she said, well, I don't know. What do you think you should do? So we decided that, well, uh, one friend of mine who was in the audience, who's an artist, a local artist, raised his hand and said, well, my studio gallery is just a few blocks from here. We, we can go there and continue the event there. So we did that. On the way out, everyone lined up at the cash register, bought copies of my book, everyone noting that 
the topic, fear less, was very appropriate at the moment. And and we got to my friend's gallery and continued there, had a lovely discussion and meditation. As it happens, my my friend's specialty is um, painting pictures of naked men who are, let's say, very generously endowed. So, so this was a first. It was pretty special. Oh, goodness. Well, there's a first for everything. And and, uh, what an experience that is. That's great. The good good news is that when I got home, I checked about the situation online, and it turned out it was a prank. There was no shooter. There was no bomb, no anything. Well, that's that's definitely good news because, I mean – Right now, today, we're dealing with a lot of crazy things happening. So Glad glad you guys were safe and made it out of there with some comedy relief, too. (laughs) So, Dean, how did you get into the work of mindfulness and natural meditation anyway? It started for me very early, actually. It started with some childhood experiences that I had. Um, You know, a point that I make all the time in my teaching is that waking up is the most natural thing in the world. It, it doesn't take artificial means. It's not weird. It's not exotic. Uh, what's not natural, what's weird is not being awake, is not knowing what you are, is thinking I'm just this, you know, carbon-based chunk of matter with some a little pilot somewhere up at the top behind the eyeballs looking out, uh, not experiencing that what you are is so much more expansive and so much more just boundlessly okay than Mm. that. Um, One of the, uh, probably the most interesting of of my childhood experiences happened when I was 11 years old and my family was getting ready to uh, go out to a drive-in movie, which is something you might have heard of. you (laughs) I've been to a few. (laughs) And, uh, And I had two brothers, and my mom sent me out to the garage to clear out all of our toys and comic books and things from the backseat of the car because we were going to be going to this movie. Now, I was just 11, 12 years old, but even at that age, my mind tended to just go round and round a lot, chasing its tail. What about this? What about that? As as my mind is going around like this, like a squirrel on on the wheel, and I'm picking up the comic books and the toys. And the next thing that I pick up is a mad magazine. Mm-hmm. And on the cover, as always, is a picture of Mad's idiot mascot, Alfred E. Newman, with his gap teeth and his you know crazy ears and his funny grin. And of course, underneath his motto, which is, what? Me worry? And suddenly, I, like a bolt out of the blue, I saw what my mind was doing. And I saw that this is a thing called worrying. Mm. I'd been too caught up in it to realize that I was caught up in it. And suddenly I was outside of it, seeing that I was do. I had been choosing to push that lever and that therefore I could stop pushing that lever. And all of a sudden my mind went silent. Just all that chatter stopped. And really it was as if the top of my head opened to the sky. I mean, I went into absolute solid cut it with a knife eat it with a spoon blissful nirvana i mean all those words of course i read in books much later and i just was floating in that nirvanic state all through the rest of the evening wow that is that's so powerful and i wish more people can experience that um that's blissful state. I think a lot of us are get caught up in the head. I mean, I can speak for myself. It happens a lot and I have to check myself. And I think what you mentioned is just becoming the observer and making the conscious choice. Like once mm-hmm. you realize that, Oh, Hey, I'm doing this. That means I have the power to stop doing this. Like that's brilliant right. for, right. um, I don't want to say it's brilliant for an 11 year old because I think children are naturally more um, like you said, it's our natural state. Um, yes. But we have to unlearn the things that we learn through just right. being in society. And so for you to unlearn that right then and there at 11 years old to return right. back to your natural state is really beautiful. Yeah. And I think that gave me a kind of a, it's like um, it gave me the, the taste of it. It's like when you go into the ice cream store and they have those little sample spoons. 
So I got a little sample of the rocky road and went, mm, I want more of this. Mm. So, so not too many years afterward, when I was in high school, I started finding the books. The books were harder to find in those days than they are now. Now you go on Amazon and, you know, there's, there's a million spiritual books and meditation books and mindfulness books, you know, sagging on the, the digital bookshelves. Uh, but in those days, they were harder to find. I found a uh, little slim copy of the Upanishads and of the Bhagavad Gita translated by Swami Prabhupada. Soon I started reading the Tao Te Ching. And uh, I went, oh, okay. This, these things that I've had these sample, these little tastes of, uh, other people have experienced this. And there are these traditions, thousands of years old, where people have explored those experiences and road tested methods so that it just it doesn't just happen once in a while arbitrarily coming out of the sky but so that you can keep accessing that in a systematic way and after a while you start you know, living there start moving in your furniture you know, mm. it's, it's like a new girlfriend or boyfriend you know first you you move in your toothbrush and, <laughs> extra pair of socks and then then you move in your furniture that's a perfect, perfect I, I way love of that. describing it. I love that. And and it's nice to have that sort of validation, I guess, especially after having such a profound experience as you did, having that validation from other texts and other spiritual leaders talking about yeah. this sort of thing. And so undoubtedly yeah, it's it's nice it's nice to find out that you're not insane. That is very true. That is true. We thought we were going off the deep end many times, right. but <laughs> right. Um, undoubtedly, this has really impacted your life, considering you've, you know, written about it in many books besides just this one. So in what ways has walking this path of mindfulness and this natural meditation you teach, how has this impacted you? In what ways are you different? Have you changed? Um, have you grown from this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a great question because when you read the books, uh, the the descriptions in the classic text of what happens, they're perfectly accurate, of course, uh, but they tend to be in kind of in language that sounds abstract or philosophical to us. In, you know, in reality, boots on the ground reality, um, when I first started really practicing meditation in a systematic way, you know, every morning and every evening, and then I started going to short retreats, weekend retreats, and after I came home from about the fourth or fifth retreat, my girlfriend at the time said to me, you know, every time you come back from one of these retreats, you're a little bit nicer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's really, in, in a sense, it's that simple that you, you know, you stop grinding your gears inside uh, it, more and more just the way things feel inside is friction free it's open it's it's spacious it's skylike and that skylike spacious feeling inside naturally projects or radiates outside in your dealings with others not that you're trying to do that because in fact when my girlfriend said to me you're getting a little nicer each time my response was i am Oh, okay. You know, because the real thing sneaks up on you, kind of like sneaks up behind your ears in a, in a natural way. It's organic. It's like a little kid growing. You don't necessarily see them growing from day to day, but one day you put their old shirt on them and, you know, the sleeve is up here. Mm. And, and that happens. You'll, um, you know, you're going through your life and maybe one day you'll have a very challenging day. Uh, stuff comes up. You have to deal with these difficult people or that difficult situation at work or family or whatever. You know, maybe you have to put out five different fires. And at the end of the day, you're sitting on your bed, you're taking your socks off and you realize, you know, I kind of feel like nothing happened today. Like I didn't do anything. Everything was just. So yes. it becomes more and more like that. And the fulfilling thing about teaching, you know, doing what I do and traveling around and teaching in colleges and corporate settings and prisons is that, you see, the procedure is repeatable. Mm -hmm. Doing the same simple stuff 
keeps and and I never cease being amazed. You know, I I, I come I just gave a, a a session in New Jersey here the uh, Sunday morning the other yesterday, uh, and there's some people. So I used to live in New Jersey. Now I live in California. So I come back to this area in North Jersey usually a few times a year. So some of these people I've been seeing them for. 10, 15 years and just seeing, you know, the glow in their eye getting clearer and hearing the stories of, of how much just more easy and simple and straightforward and enjoyable their lives are becoming. And I go, oh, turns out that all the stuff I've been saying all these years was not just a bunch of BS. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> and it's beautiful that you commented on that subtle growth where you just you may not notice those shifts on a day-to-day -day basis, but then suddenly one day you're like, hmm, I reacted differently to this situation than I might have a few weeks ago. Or I feel like I've shifted into a new state of being, but maybe I can't put my finger on it. Um, and then over time, I believe you're able to articulate that growing process much like you have with sharing your story and how you've shifted. And, you know, you also touched up on, the the philosophical teaching or it, it appears or sounds philosophical these these teachings are actually very natural and um uncut and real um and you mentioned you know taking a more boots on the ground approach which i find your book fear less takes that approach you take something that might sound like it could be debatable or it could be you know like a matter of belief and bring it down to earth digestible mm -hmm. content and so what inspired you to write your new book, Fear Less? And if you could explain the premise a little, that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you for pronouncing the title correctly, because people sometimes say fearless. Mm -hmm. And I'm not fearless. I haven't met anyone who's fearless. Fortunately, you don't have to be fearless. In fact, some fear is good. Some fear is healthy. It's healthy to have some innate fear of snakes, Mother Nature programs us with that because some of those snakes are dangerous. But now if you're like this friend of mine who can't walk into a pet shop because she's afraid the snakes are going to break through their glass tanks and jump in her face, that, the, the, then that fear quotient has been cranked up to 11. Mm -hmm. that, that's unnatural. So fearing less, just getting things back to a healthy balance is, is what this is about. The subtitle, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And we could have kept going. You know, we could have yeah. kept, you know, grief, uh, jealousy, on and on. Uh, we, we ran out of room on the cover. <laughs> uh, because really all of those, you know, what, what in, uh, in some teachings they call the afflictive emotions. In Buddhist teachings, they call them the afflictive emotions. They all seem very different, but they all really ultimately have the same root. Mm which is the, the failure to recognize what we truly are. You know, we all think that we are, to use a metaphor, that we're each a little wave on the surface of the ocean. Mm. And, you know, my little wave is shaped like this, and your little wave is shaped like that. And our waves are always sloshing into each other. Look out, that wave, you know, backed into mine and took my parking space. And, and, uh, and also we start to notice that sooner or later, every wave breaks against the shore and disappears. This mm -hmm. little inconvenience called death. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't look like fun. And so many waves seem like they're bigger than my wave. They're having a better time. So if that's your model of life, it's, it's not surprising that you're, you get afraid, you get, anxious, you get angry, uh, you try to uh, then get rid of all those things by self-medicating with addictive substances or addictive behaviors. It, it makes perfect sense. If in fact that were a valid model of life, that we were really just little chunks of, of organic matter with, with you know little electrical signals up here, giving us a little bit of consciousness and then you do that for 70, 80 years and game over, then it would make perfect sense to just live in constant anxiety, mm -hmm. which I think most people actually do, but they just suppress it. They push it into a corner. Mm -hmm. So the solution to all of this, I'm given the high level stuff first. We'll go back to the more simple boots on the sure. ground in a minute. But so kind of on the highest level, the solution, the one solution to all those 
what seemingly different afflictions is to realize what we truly are, which is, hey, little waves, look down into your base. There's this thing down here called ocean. And it's not limited. It's not some tiny little shape. It doesn't break against the shore and die. It's vast. It's endless. It's not bounded to one size or one shape. And it's silent. Mm. And it's and and when you sink down into that, the experience is ah, here's that stability, here's that boundless okayness that I was looking for in the glass of beer or in the vanquishing, you know, beating up the guy who took my parking spot or you know whatever it was. So if we can get you know full vivid experience of what we truly are, our ocean ocean-like status, or at least even little sample tastes of it, it starts deflating all those seemingly intractable problems. Mm -hmm. So that's the the approach. And, you know, another way of looking at it is that the, the fears, the anxieties, the rages, they seem like big, scary monsters looming over us. How am I ever going to get out from under this thing happened in my childhood and I'm so caught up in this drug or this destructive, self-destructive behavior, whatever it is. But if we look a little more closely, we start to notice that those big, scary monsters, they're actually like the balloons in the Macy's Day Parade. You know, what, what makes them look so big and scary is they've been pumped full of hot air. And that hot air is comes from us. That's the We feed them with our concepts about them. So all it takes really, we don't have to wipe those out of the sky. All you need is a little pin or two. You start making little holes in them and they deflate. And in time, in time, they may not ever completely go away, but it's okay. They deflate and after a while, they're just harmless little flaccid bath toys <laughs> bouncing around your ankles. Oh, hi there, old buddy. How you doing? How you doing? Like the, I mentioned in the book, the Dalai Lama is not fearless. He's afraid of worms. I've heard him talk about it, but when he talks about it, he laughs. Oh, yeah, there's my fear of worms. Ha, ha, ha. It's like this coexistence in a way mm. that the light and dark share space, but in a yeah. harmonious way. You know, and one of the mm. things you mentioned in your book, you were talking about how there's two, two things people try to do to deal with their anxieties, fears, insert intense emotion here and that they usually don't work and that one of them was suppressing it you know and just Mm -hmm. kind of bypassing it with false positivity right like i'm just not going to look at it and i'm going to say my positive affirmation and be happy and then Mm -hmm. another one being um you know stewing too much in it feeding it the stories like you've mentioned that we we do and it creates this giant monster and so where would you say is the fine middle ground right yeah the 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 middle ground the third way uh and the third way really is is what the whole book is uh there's a, a a number of methods for going up that that golden middle path uh this is where we get to the simple boots on the ground stuff and the good news is that you can practice these simple methods, whether or not all that stuff we were just saying about, you know, being vast oceans of beingness. If that sounds like a bunch of malarkey to you, that's fine. <laughs> the, you know, if it's true, you'll see it sooner or later. Um, so very simple method. Um, it's, it's a chapter two of the book. It's two pages long. The Oprah website actually picked this up uh, right after the book was published. It's still running there. I Happy! I've gotten emails from people all over the world, actually, on this one, saying it's so stupid simple, but it really works. And what this consists of, and people watching or listening to this podcast can do this right now, is breathing through your feet. Okay? Now, if I say to you, the soles of your feet, notice what just happened. There's nothing you had to do. Automatically, now you have some attention. You're, you're experiencing the soles of your feet. And you might say, wait, is that, am I f- actually feeling that? Am I imagining that? I don't know. doesn't matter. There's some experience of the soles of your feet. Now, the second thing we can point out is you're breathing. Oh, yeah, breathing's already going on. No effort involved in that. So now let's just put those two things together. So now as you naturally breathe in, just imagine, feel 
that you're breathing in through the soles of your feet. And as you breathe out, you're breathing out through the soles of your feet. And breathing in through the soles of your feet. And breathing out through the soles of your feet. Breathing in through the soles of your feet. And breathing out through the soles of your feet. Okay. How are you feeling? Peaceful. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Just, oh, what was that? Yeah. Stupid simple. That's the way I like things. Because I'm really lazy. <laughs> you know. Uh, but the, and the reality is that, uh, you know, we're, we're not sitting in caves in India. I've sat in caves in India, and that's very cool. But it, this is 2018, and we're living the busy life of, you know, middle-class people in urban America. Mm. Uh, and people are not going to take most of them months sitting in a cave. But you can do this in two or three breaths. So you can do this in the thick of things. You're sitting there in traffic. I was coming back from doing another interview in, in Manhattan a couple of hours ago, and it was raining and the traffic was all backed up. And, you know, we could just sit there and getting angry about it. Or it can, there's a number of things you can do. We'll look at a few others in a moment. And one of them is just breathe through your feet. And then you can't be completely caught up in that frustration because there's a part of you that's outside of that breathing through your feet. And then also there's a subtle psychophysiological thing. Uh, after this book came out, I got a, uh, an email from a, a yoga teacher in Austin, and she said, oh, uh, you didn't mention it, but of course your breathing through the feet technique comes from the work of the famous neurologist, Dr. So-and-so, who found the anatomical connection between the arch of the foot and the, the diaphragm and the dip, dip, dip. And uh, I said, okay, <laughs> sure, I meant to do that. I didn't know that, but it doesn't matter. What I know is what works. Mm. And this is actually in the grand tradition of, of, <clears throat> of all the teachings. You know, you go back thousands of years to the yogis sitting in the jungles of ancient India, and they did a lot of R&D work, research and development, just finding out what works. One of the things that they discovered is that if you breathe with a slight constriction in the back of your throat so that you sound like Darth Vader, you know, That also cools your jets in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward a couple of thousand years, physiologists discovered that that back of the throat constriction stimulates the vagus nerve, which is a pair of nerves leading from the base of the brain down to the diaphragm. And that tends to switch off the sympathetic branch of the nervous system, switches on the parasympathetic, which means that all our fight or flight stuff, where your heart pounds and your mouth gets dry and, and all of that, that all cools out, and the opposite response, what we call the gaze and graze syndrome or the stay in place syndrome, that turns on that sense of, ah, oh, everything's fine right here. Mm -hmm. They didn't, so the ancient yogis didn't know why it worked or how it worked, but they knew that it worked, and, and that's enough, really. Absolutely. It's totally enough. I mean, when you have real practical, you know, results in your own life too, especially it's, mm -hmm. it almost doesn't even matter what's going on physically, right. but that it works. And, yep. you know, I, I imagine all of us individually choosing to enter this state um, on a day-to-day -day basis, not about striving for perfection, but if we could all live from this more mindful state how do you think this would impact us collectively? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I've seen it. Um, I've seen it in microcosm, for example, um, in my, my work in prison. I've worked in a few prisons. The, the most of my prison work has been in a place I was just there a few nights ago, Northern State Prison uh, in Newark, New Jersey. If you've ever flown in or out of the Newark airport, it's, it's right almost virtually next door to the airport, just to kind of tease the prisoner. And, um, 
there's also an interstate highway running in the front of it and a, and a railroad track behind it. It's like, okay, if you do get over the wall, you have a wonderful choice of, of transportation. Um, and um, I actually tell in the, in the book, I tell a couple of stories of my experiences with the guys there. And I love working with those guys. I learned so much from them because prison is kind of like everywhere else. Prison is kind of like life, only more so. Mm. You know, everything's intensified. You know, we, out here in the so-called free world, you know, we have fears, we have anxieties, we have, right, there everything is cranked up. But the one thing that seems like an advantage in our lives, but in a way is a disadvantage, is that we have enough choices that we can continue to persuade ourselves that we can find okayness, find happiness, make everything all right by changing our outer situation. Okay, if I just get the new car, everything will be okay. When I just finally finish doing my taxes this year, when I just finally, you know, this, 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 this. And, and the, the guys that I work with in prison, they're not under any such illusion because mm-hmm. they know that their outer situation is going to suck no matter what. They, they're, they're, they have no control over it. So, in, you know, the Buddha said, do your practice like your hair's on fire. And that's what I love about working with these guys. Their hair is on fire. They get the, the importance of this stuff. It's not just, oh, how nice. Maybe I'll take the macrame class this week and I'll take the meditation class. No, this stuff's a, you know, life and death. Uh, I've had guys who describe themselves as drug gang assassins from the streets of Newark who, you know, after working with me for a month would come up to me quietly and say, okay, I got one question. How can I purify murder? Uh, I had one guy who was like that, um, came in just totally the first time he came in, he was like this just hooded eyes, that kind of reptilian, you know, look and, but he did the meditation and he softened up a little bit, came back the next week, softened up a little more, softened up a little more. Um, a few years later, I moved from New Jersey to California, so I couldn't be there every week to run the group anymore. Uh, I still go back several times a year and, and they go, they, the group still runs without me. And so the prison system did not see fit to find a replacement for me. So this guy, this prisoner, who had now just become transformed into this lovely, sweet guy. Um, he took over leading the group. Wow. That's uh, incredible. Later, I, I had him, and, and I actually, I have a whole chapter about this in, in the book. It's called Testimony, uh, where I, te- I asked him, would you share your life story with me? I'd like to share this with others. And he sent me a, a series of letters when I moved back to California, starting with when he was seven years old happy kid playing on the streets of Newark. One day the local drug, he's standing on the corner, the local drug dealer is handing him a dollar so he, he can run and buy candy. And as the drug dealer is handing him the dollar, is the drive-by shooting mm-hmm. he gets whacked. And the little seven-year-old gets blood all over him. And, you know, from there, things only can go down. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole, his, I mean, you can't believe his his life story. Like, you know, then the, the cousin who he went to live with who would take him out back shooting targets and then shooting dogs and then started pressuring to shoot people and, you know, just awful, awful, awful. And it's as if week by week, as he did the meditation, all that armor that he had when he first walked in, you could see it melted. It was as if he was recovering the the innocence, the purity of that seven-year-old before he witnessed that first shooting. Mm. And one day, and his hair was in long cornrows. And one day I was in California, I got a piece of mail from him, but it wasn't like the other letters. This one was a package, it was kind of lumpy. And I opened it up and it was his hair with the note, please donate my hair to Locks of Love for some kid who's lost their hair to chemotherapy. Wow. Wow, that gave me chills. Yeah, I got full body chills right now. That's incredible. I really appreciate you sharing that story. 
you know, what's beautiful about that is that you essentially provided this opportunity for them to reclaim their own dignity in an environment that is so oppressive um, that seemingly takes that dignity away from them every single day. And there's actually, uh, we're about to have another guest on the podcast, Paul Selig, who wrote a bunch of books, channeled texts, the most recent one, The Book of Freedom. And in it, it stuck out to me as you're speaking. One of the phrases was, a man without his dignity cannot be rehabilitated. And mm. so that's that's mindfulness. That's the reclamation. Mm. That's the ownership that we can take mm. to transform our lives yeah. no matter our situation. And that's just proof of that. Yeah. Yes, I would say, yeah, dignity and love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, when I... F- first was going to just before I started going into that prison, working there in 2005. And I was kind of concerned, gee, what am I going to teach these guys? And will they take to this kind of is, is, is just, you know, uh, non-dual meditation, the way I've learned it from my teachers is going to be too steep from that for them. Are they going to work? Are they going to be able to respond to this teaching and that teaching? And, uh, what I quickly found out was to relax about all of that, that none of that really mattered, that, um, that the main thing, the real teaching was that every Thursday I showed up, mm-hmm. that I was there for them and I wasn't there to judge them. Uh, and that, uh, without having to say the words that I loved them mm-hmm. and I really did. And I, and I really do, you know, you can't fake that, but, uh, you know, you see those hearts in them. You see the, the, you see the heart. You see the core that's been buried under all that armor and all that horror that they've grown up with. You see that starting, the light of that starting to pierce through all that crap that's been layered on top of it. And you know, you can't help falling in love. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's great. Well. There would be there would be times when it would you know it's New Jersey. There'd be times when when there'd be the blizzard. But I'd go Thursday night, I'd get in my car, I'd drive through the blizzard, and then I'd get there, and as often as not, they'd say, geez, the the, the roof of the chapel is leaking, so we had to cancel your session. And I kind of go, doesn't matter. I showed yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've, you've really highlighted and done a wonderful job at talking about the benefits of this type of practice and what it does for people, especially in the most radical cases and hardcore cases, going to prisons and all of that. But so stepping back, what do you see as the most mm-hmm. common stumbling blocks um, people run into when getting into or developing a practice such as this? Mm-hmm. Right. The most common stumbling block is that people try to meditate. <laughs> people, pe- and it's not their fault. It for, for two reasons. A, it makes perfect sense because virtually everything else that we do that benefits our life, the more effort you put into it, the better result you get. You want to learn to play the violin, you know, it's all practice, practice, practice. It's sweat equity. Almost everything is like that. So it's not going to be obvious to you right away that this is the one thing that's exactly the opposite. Um, But in fact, that's the way it is because any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm going to say that again. Any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation. I love saying that. It took me years to hammer that out. It's to me, this is like the E equals MC squared. <laughs> right? And, and, and because, I mean, if we go back to the analogy of the ocean, we can think the mind is like the, the surface of the ocean, all these waves, all this activity, this thought and this perception and this emotion. And people know, oh, well, I want silence. I want tranquility. So therefore, I've got to uh, flatten out all those waves. Let me take a hammer or a, or maybe this book will be useful. Bam, 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 bam. We try to flatten out all the waves. Now, that doesn't work. It's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, you, you hit one, two more pump up over here. And in fact, you're just stirring up the water worse. You're getting yourself agitated. So that's the bad news. The good news is that was a completely misguided activity. 
All you need to do is allow yourself to sink a little bit. You get about a foot below the surface and you realize, oh, it's si already silent down here. It's always already silent beneath the surface. The mistake was trying to silence the thinking level of the mind. The, the, the thinking level of the mind, that's supposed to be thinking. Mm -hmm. Thought, just as there have to be the colors of this room, there have to be the sounds of the voices and the traffic from outside and whatever, that's supposed to be there. You know, in Buddhist psychology, they consider that there are six senses, hearing, thinking, tasting, touching, smelling, and thinking. Thoughts are considered to be just one more kind of, they're a subtle sense object, they're, they're a sense object. There's nothing special about them. They're just like colors or sounds. There's just something there, and one more thing there in the wallpaper, one more thing there in the landscape. So you just leave the thoughts alone. You don't try to do anything about them. And the mind, fortunately, has a natural gravitation toward happiness, toward peace. That's why, you know, we were alluding to this before. In every moment, that's what we're looking for. When we go, oh, I want water, I want peanut butter, I want, uh, I want to go see that new movie, I want to get a good massage, I want to have some sex, I want to have whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, uh, except that none of them solve the basic problem of human life, which is that those are all finite sources of satisfaction and our appetite for satisfaction is infinite mm. that's the the blessing and the curse of being born as a human being rather than you know a cat or a or a brussels sprout or something <laughs> is that there is something in us that says mm, yeah but what else is there we have that instinct that intuition mm, there's there's something more there's something more and we're not satisfied till we find it and, you know, we may, and you can really see all of human behavior through that lens. It makes human behavior make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Why people wind up knocking their heads against all kinds of walls, because they're, they're, tr they're trying to break their heads open, in a sense. They're trying to ah, have that experience that I stumbled into when I was 11, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and that through meditation practice, I've found that I'm able to, you know, more and more just grow into being there all the time and, and that other people can do that. Mm. So um, the because our mind is looking for that all the time in natural meditation, what I call natural meditation, in which I look, I haven't made any of this stuff up. It's all learned from my teachers who, who represent long, long traditions going back to India and going back to Tibet. Vajrayana Buddhism, Dzogchen practice, the Advaita uh, thread of, of uh, teachings from India. And so I call it natural meditation. I put it in plain American English. And the, the main principle is that if you just get the mind turned in that direction, gravity takes over. And there, there's no doing. There's no doing. It just it settles by itself. And it takes... A little being used, getting used to because, you know, you go, oh, well, maybe if I just try to push away these thoughts here, and then you wind up stirring the water again, and after a while, you get the idea. Okay, I give up. I surrender. Let Mother Nature take over. She's a better driver than I. <laughs> oh, key word, surrender. Yep. Surrender, yeah. surrender, right. surrender. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you've shared a lot of... One, you've shared some practical tips. Oh, you know, you know. Let me let me say one thing because another another way to say surrender is give up, <laughs> and and people think of oh, they say give up. That that sounds so terrible, so hopeless. But think about it for a moment. Give. Giving is a good thing. Up, up is a good direction. Give. Up. <sighs> What could be lovelier? That's a much more peaceful way of, of looking into <laughs> the feelings that we usually have when we do hear the words give yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you're full of practical tips already, and your book is just jam-packed with really creative practices and not in a sense yeah. that is forcing someone to do something, but like you said, guiding people on how to give up because sometimes it takes a lot to really unlearn what has taught us, you know, to be so crammed and so um, 
imprisoned by our own stories, right? And so, which is one reason why I really like this book of yours. Um, but what are a few simple, I guess, tips? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, so let's let's do more of the, the quick, easy, practical tips. So the one we already did, breathing through your feet. Here's one that I just love. This is one of my, personally, one of my favorite practices these days, which is drop your thoughts. Three, four, five. Okay, done. Okay. You just, you slap your hands in front of your face to just kind of shock yourself. And then just for five seconds, drop your thoughts. After six seconds, you pick them up again. Now, the reason that this is so effective is just as you were saying, we tend to get so caught up in these stories. You know, we invest a lifetime in building up all these sorts. Then this thing happened and I got this struggle with my parents and my mom said that and my dad did that and blah, 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 blah. Um, I mean, I know people who they're starting to tell you, you know, they're going on and on with the story of them and their parents. And I go, wait, how old are you? Well, I'm 50. Are, are your parents are still alive. Oh, no, they died 10 years ago. Mm. And you're still fighting with them? So, so where's that fight taking place? Right? It's all, It's all just thoughts. It's all just thoughts. I mean, you know, reach out your finger right now and touch the past. Mm -hmm. you, you can't do that. It's, it's just thoughts. So we get, and, but the thing is, when the thoughts come along, one of the things that's built into the thoughts is the thought, this is here all the time. And it's not. It's not. Okay, for example, um, let's take something that you don't necessarily think of as problematic. Let's take your politics. I am a Democrat. I am a Republican. Or I am a Christian. I am a Buddhist. I am an atheist. Whatever. These things that, that perhaps we think of as inherent in our identity. This is who I am. When you are fast asleep at night in the state of deep dreamless sleep, what's your religion? Right? Yeah, exactly. Flatline. There ain't none. You can't have a religion then because you're not thinking. Mm -hmm. You can't, that whole system of whatever your religious doctrine is, and whether you've got, you know, this one, whether your, your religion is Islam, then the structure looks like this. And if your religion is, is Hindu, it, the structure might look very different. But this, the Legos that both structures are made out of are the same kind of Legos, which are called thoughts. And when you're fast asleep, no Legos, no thoughts, no religion, no politics, no uh, personal history, your long, sad story about your childhood or your happy story about your childhood, all your story about the alleged future that you think is just around the corner, gone, nothing, no existence. Okay, it's all dropped then. The problem is we're conked out. So we don't get to experience the that freedom, that open space that's free from all those stories. Okay? Then we wake up and, oh, here it is again. Now I'm going to have it for the next 16 hours. But the reality is you don't have it for the next 16 hours. Because what's your religion when you're parallel parking in a tight space? <laughs> it's the same deal. You don't have the bandwidth available to, to deal with Christian theology or, or, or atheist doctrine or whatever mm -hmm. it is. You're nothing there blissfully nothing. But but again, so what we do in meditation essentially is settling down into that same place of silence that you do when you're asleep, except you're not asleep. It, it's what the scientists call a wakeful hypometabolic state, meaning hypometabolic, settled down, silent as in sleep, but wakeful to directly experience and enjoy that. Open. Now, yes, open. Open and so... We can, so the fact of the matter is we drop our thoughts a thousand times a day, but we pick them up a thousand and one times a day and convince ourselves that it's there all the time because we haven't been conscious of it. So one thing is just noticing the process that I've just described, starting to notice, oh yeah, the stuff's being dropped all the time. I drop it, I pick it up. I drop it, I pick it up. There's that lever, as we were saying before, oh, maybe I could choose to not pick it up. And then another thing is to just poke holes in it by every once in a while. Okay, just drop them. Drop them for five seconds. To say, oh, drop it forever, drop all that BS. It's, it's too hard, too challenging. If you just drop it for five seconds, 
every time you do that, it weakens their grip mm -hmm. on us. And actually, even that's not quite accurately. They don't, a thought doesn't have a power to grip us. We're gripping the mm -hmm. thought. We're gripping the thought. Um, and so all you have to do really is let it go. One of my teachers, uh, Sri Muji, wonderful uh, uh, Advaita teacher from Jamaica that I've spent time with, once I heard someone ask him, uh, but how, do, Muji, how do you drop it? And he said, you know how to do it. How do you drop a hot potato? <laughs> That's him. That's him. I love Muji. Yeah, Muji is wonderful. His humor, too, is, yeah. is really yeah. refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we have breathe through your feet. We have drop your thoughts. <clears throat> Here's another one. Here's, I'm going to teach you my two favorite mantras. Okay, and we all know that mantra is powerful. Mantras are not some weird, mysterious thing. They're uh, psychoacoustically optimal sounds, right? They're sounds whose vibrational effect, as road tested over the centuries by the yogis in the jungles of India and Tibet and other places, they found that, oh, these particular sound vibrations are really optimal for uh, recognizing that clarity, that openness, okay? So my favorite mantra is, ah, that's the natural mantra. It turns out that you know, for years I, I practiced Vajrayana Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism. And in Tibetan Buddhism, that happens to be the central mantra. Mm. That's the mantra that's used the most in meditative practice. That's the sound that we spontaneously make when, ah, everything's okay. I finally finished doing my taxes. I finally got the piece of stringy celery out from that back tooth. I finally achieved the orgasm. I thought, whatever it is, uh, I finally made the last mortgage payment on my house. Ah, oh, now everything's okay. So when we have that feeling inside, spontaneously, we tend to make that sound. But mind-body's always a two-way street. So we can do it the other way, make that sound, and it tends to bring out that feeling. Now, another one that works the same way this is one I learned from a dear friend of mine. I was coming back from a, uh, some years ago from a meditation retreat in Texas. And I'd been going through some emotional turmoil, some women problems, actually. And my friend said we were on the plane leaving Texas. And she said, Dean, just remember this. No matter what's going on, you can never have a bad time as long as you say, <laughs> So in all my workshops, I always have people do that. And, you know, and, and along with the mantra of we, of course, there's the mudra of throwing up your hands. And I was just doing this with this group in Pennsylvania last night when, as far as we knew, there was an active shooter, you know, down the block and a bomb scare and all that. We're sitting there throwing up our hands going, wee! And you do that a couple of times and it's really hard to be depressed or worried. And that's due to something called the facial feedback hypothesis, which was first explored by Charles Darwin, later refined by other scientists. Your inner feeling tends to be reflected in your outer facial expression, but also, again, it's a two-way street. You can't say wee without mm -hmm. smiling. And then it's really hard to be depressed. Mm -hmm. there, there's a piece of research that I cite in the book that I really love. They, I'm looking for a pen here. Okay, we'll just pretend I have a pen. They had people watch a cartoon and everyone was handed a, a ballpoint pen before they sat down to watch the cartoon. And one third of them was told, just hold the pen in your hand. That was the control group. They didn't know this. The second group was told, hold the pen while you're watching the cartoon, hold the pen between your lips. And the third group was told, hold the pen between your teeth. Now, of course, when you hold the pen between your lips, it tends to make you frown. When you hold it between your teeth, it makes you smile. After they watched the cartoon, they had everyone rate the cartoon one to 10, how funny was it? And the people holding the pen between their teeth all thought the cartoon was funnier. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moral of the story, we think it's the outside world. This is the Buddha's teaching in a nutshell, by the way. We think it's the outside world that's, you know, the stuff outside us, the world, the cartoon, that's funny or sad or this or that. But that's not the whole story. It's how we're processing it. It's the consciousness that we're bringing to it. And one way to just brighten up the, the consciousness is smile, laugh, say, <laughs> I, I, 
I, I got an email a few months ago from a couple who had attended one of, and, and the woman said in the email, I just wanted to let you know, we, my husband and I were in this workshop you gave in such and such a city last year. And um, yesterday we were driving home from the auto dealership in our new Lexus. We were driving down the interstate and a state trooper's car T-boned us, knocked our car into the gully, rolled over a couple of times, when it finally stopped rolling, the dust settled. We looked at ourselves. We looked at each other. We saw that we were both okay. And without missing a beat spontaneously, we both said, <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and that's, that's, that's proof that it's an everlasting thing that sticks with you. Once this concept really settles in our being, yeah. you can, you're resilient. Yeah. You can handle anything in your external reality, because like you said, it's what's inside. And yeah. more and more that more and more that becomes the case. Some of this, you know, some of it, if you just see it clearly once, you can never unsee it. Like I give the example, this is from the classical literature. Uh, well, the way, I'll, I, the way I tell the story, I, I soup it up a little bit, which is you know, one day a guy comes home and there's a tiger in his living room. Naturally, he gets very upset. His, his blood pressure spikes. He's, he's feeling, having anxiety symptoms. Maybe he runs to the medicine cabinet to find some anti-anxiety medicine. Maybe he sits down to meditate. Maybe he, he starts, you know, he, he consults Siri to find, you know, Tiger exterminators, <laughs> something like that. And then his wife comes home and says, hi, honey, how do you like my new paper tiger I just picked up at the art gallery? Isn't it lifelike? Okay. Now, what happens next is most interesting. He doesn't have to do anything else. He's just once seen through the illusory nature of what seemed to him like a, the problematic nature of the world. Mm. It seemed like it had a problematic nature. That turns out to be illusory. Turns out to be okay. Now, he doesn't have to take medication. His blood pressure naturally settles down. He doesn't have, his anxiety goes away. He doesn't have to keep being told that. You know, meditate, meditation, it has the physiological aspect of settling the body down and getting acclimated to that style of functioning. It's, it's good to do it every day. But now this is something else. This is what's called view or insight. And if we get it clearly, we only have to do it once. Once you see that it's a paper tiger, and what the great enlightened sages say is that life is a paper tiger. <laughs> right? And you see through that once and you go, okay, you don't have to show me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very beautifully put. Yes, yes. Full of just wisdom and, and wonderful practical knowledge that I think a lot of people can benefit from and use. Mm -hmm. um, I know we've approached this subject with other people before, but you really put it in a way that makes it simple and approachable and digestible. And we just really appreciate all of that um, a lot. And so what updates do you have? I know you're you know, promoting your new book. Um, what other things do you have? Do you host retreats? Any workshops people can come to? Anything like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if people go to my website, um, they can go to deanslider.com, which is hard to spell, or they can go to deanwords.com. We'll also get you there. That's easier to spell, deanwords.com. And my teaching schedule is is on there. Uh, we, we've got a number of... Um, new things coming up for 2019 that, that are going to be on there. They're not on there yet, but one that's on there in June, it's uh, June 3rd through 7th of 2019, I'm going to be leading a five-day retreat at the Omega Institute mm. in Rhinebeck, New York, next to Woodstock. Have you ever been there? I've been to Woodstock, beautiful area. Oh, it's so gorgeous. And on the grounds of, of the, the Omega Institute, gorgeous lake and the trees and there were all these other programs going on and got it set up so there's certain times in the afternoon or evening where you can go sample the other programs and just a wonderful slate of teachers so that's uh this coming june uh at omega and uh i'm also doing these days more uh, and more corporate work uh people um 
invite me to um, cor into corporate settings, wellness, and something called the Young Presidents Organization a couple of years ago. These are all uh, people who are head of companies that are at least $50 million or, or more companies. They brought me down to the rainforest in Guatemala, uh, first to teach all their wives to meditate, and then I taught the, the executives to, to meditate. Wow. Um, so... Uh, so I, so I love for me the you know, part of the, the balanced diet is, is working with the, the, the heavy hitter CEOs and then working with the guys who are locked up in maximum security mm -hmm. and just, and, and I teach pretty much the same to everyone because, you know, human beings are pretty much the same. That's, That's great. Wonderful. Well, we might meet you in, uh, at the Omega Institute. We're not too far from there and it'd be great to, to connect with you in person and, and meet you there. I'd love to do that. Also, I should mention that um, for people who live in the Los Angeles area, uh, my wife and I host uh, an open meditation every, usually it's every other Tuesday evening in Santa Monica. And people can connect with that through my website. And also, I've started live streaming those sessions on YouTube. Wonderful. So people can find them there, or I'm starting to archive them so you can look at the past sessions. Also on my website, I've got guided meditation audio tracks. So the, this, this approach to, to meditation, natural meditation that I've talked about, where you're not trying to push away thoughts, you're not trying to concentrate, you're not trying to create some mindful situation or some meditative situation, but just allowing gravity to take over, to pull you into that silent ocean of being underneath all these waves of, of thinking. That does take a little bit of guidance, you know, it take, at least certainly the first few times. So if people go to my website and it's completely free, you can stream these, these guided meditation audio tracks and just have, you know, Uncle Dean walk you through it. <laughs> it's useful to have, have someone else in the driver's seat mm -hmm. so you can really kick back, okay, I'm just in the passenger seat. There's nothing for me to do here. Cool. Wonderful. You're up to a lot of wonderful stuff. I'm very excited for the work that you do. And seriously, listeners, viewers, got to get this book. You will have a blast reading it. And I fully believe that you have the power to change your life for the better. And this book can be one of those tools to help you do so. So, Dean, thank you thank so you. much for coming on thank to you. the show. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure. Wasn't he just wonderful? He sure was. I love Dean. Love his work. Check out his book. You need to get that. So you have two assignments, guys. You have two assignments to make your life amazing. One, go to his website, deanwords.com. Get that book, Fear Less, and then... Go right on over to stressfreehappylife.com, type in your email, get your free video and workbook on why anxiety is actually your best friend and five steps to use it to your advantage. You've got nothing to lose, guys. Make yourself a priority. See you guys soon. delicious sound. No, it's not the freshly fried patty of the crispy McChicken sandwich. Well, actually it is. But it's also the sound of a debt being paid. Because this golden crisp chicken could be the very first meal you treat your parents to. Yes, parental payback is now available in many delicious McDonald's deals. Like buy one, get one for a dollar. Every day at McDonald's, mix and match a new hot and spicy McChicken with classics like a McDouble, McChicken, or four-piece chicken McNuggets. Price and participation may vary.